0: Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you guys. The last Sunday of 2023, and as we jump in, let me uh, ask you this question as we get started. Have you ever lost something that mattered to you? Have you ever lost something that mattered to you? Uh, Many of us are forgetful. We lose stuff all the time. A few years ago, a a local San Jose couple, they, they actually lost their dog, Theo, ended up making the local news. If you were around at the time, there was these posters, more than 800 posters, all throughout San Jose and surrounding cities, on every on-ramp, on every off-ramp. You could not escape pictures of little Theo. And and because of that, because of the prevalence of so many lost dog posters, the San Jose Mercury News actually ended up um, taking the story and reporting about this couple who had lost their dog, Theo and we discovered that they had gone to great lengths to find Theo, they actually hired a pet detective, that's a thing, that's a real thing, and they even postponed their wedding in order to focus on finding their beloved puppy. Now some of you are already judging them, okay? You're like, $5,000 for a dog, I would never postpone my wedding. Some of you are judging them, but with the the rest of us who have a soul, we are not judging them, okay? (laughs) The rest of us, we get it. it. It would be different if it was a cat. <laughs> but for the rest of us, we understand. But I heard a boo. I heard a boo. Those of us with a soul, we understand that losing something of great value matters. And we will go after it with great links to find What is lost? Let me ask you again, have you ever lost something that mattered to you? Maybe your car keys, some of you in this room, you lose your car keys quite often. Maybe your wedding ring, maybe your wallet, maybe your purse. Um, My wife, Lindsay and I, we have two kids, Magnolia and Moses. There's a picture of them. They're now both teenagers, so you could be praying for us as we parent teenagers. Um, But I remember when our kids were much younger, the first time we temporarily lost one of our kids. We lost Magnolia temporarily. We were at Magnolia's school Christmas tree lighting ceremony, it was her elementary school. It was dark out, it was the evening. there was hundreds of people, and all of a sudden, little magnolia she 's just temporarily lost. we can 't find her, and our minds just start spinning, and we 're you know scouring like the whole campus, trying to find her and then my wife 's like, "What about upstairs? There was like a second story upstairs and We went up there, and sure enough, she was there with her friends, smiling, just having a great time. We're like, Magnolia, what are you doing up here? And she's like, well, I'm up here so I could see a better view of the Christmas tree lighting ceremony. And we're like, and a better view of mom and dad having a heart attack. Like, what are you thinking? We thought you were lost. And today, as we head into the new year, I want us to look at a story that Jesus tells about something that was lost. It's an important story, probably one of the most important and famous stories that Jesus ever told, and I think what Jesus is teaching us through this story has a huge impact for us, both as we look back at 2023 and to the new year ahead. I think this has huge ramifications, implications for our life and our faith and our future. So we'll jump in. As Finney mentioned, if I haven't met you before, I'm Andy. I'm on staff. I'm one of the pastors. For many years, I served as our South Hills campus pastor, and for the last several years, last two years, I've served as our executive pastor and it's my honor to lead us through this last Sunday of the year, this really famous story about something that's lost. It's called The Parable of the Lost Sheep. If you brought your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 15. It'll also be on the screen. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Luke tells us this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. So right away, Luke is painting a picture. Before Jesus even begins to tell the story, Luke is telling us that there's three groups of people that are listening to Jesus teaching. Uh, The very first group he calls tax collectors. We might call them upper-class sinners. These are people that are commissioned by Rome, Jews commissioned by Rome to tax their own people, and not only tax them Roman taxes, but to 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 put on top of those taxes their own taxes, to line their pockets and to profit off their own countrymen. And they were loathed, they were loathed by their own countrymen, their fellow Jews. They were considered so bad that the church of their day would not actually take their money. Think about that. You have to be pretty bad for a nonprofit to not receive your charitable contributions. You have to be pretty bad. These are the first group that are listening to Jesus, tax collectors, upper-class, white-collar, criminals, citizens, okay? The second group, Luke says, are just sinners. He just uses the general word sinners. We might call them blue-collar sinners, you know, just kind of an everyday, run-of-the-mill sinner. This is your Raiders fans in the room, okay? <laughs> what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, okay? And then there's religious sinners, okay? There's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and Luke says they're listening too. And we're told that this third group, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're trying to understand why Jesus is building a faith community with those first two groups, those upper-class sinners or those blue collar. like, Jesus, why are you building a faith community with sinners, with immoral people? This had never been seen before. And Jesus responds with the following parable, Luke 15, verse four. He says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. In Jesus' day, a shepherd with a hundred sheep would have been a medium-sized business Okay, to lose one sheep would have been significant. In our times, you can maybe think of like a used car lock with 100 cars on it, and one of them goes missing. Maybe it got stolen, something like that. And Jesus says, imagine a shepherd has 100 sheep, and one of them wanders off. He continues Luke 15, four through seven. Doesn't this shepherd then leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Repent. What is Jesus saying through this story? He's responding to these religious sinners who say, why are you gathering a faith community of immoral, bad people? Why are you doing that, Jesus? He's responding. What is Jesus trying to say through this parable of the lost sheep? Through this parable, Jesus is declaring that the fundamental problem that he is here to resolve is not just how bad you are, but actually how bad off you are. Jesus is teaching us that without God at the center of our lives, every part of our lives, our business, our relationships, our our, our fun time, all of it, our resources, Jesus is teaching without God at the center of our lives, we are bad off. He says we're like sheep without a shepherd. Now to our modern ears, when Jesus calls you and me sheep, We don't really hear that term the way that maybe ancient listeners would have. Most of us don't know much about farm animals, okay? We just don't know much about sheep. We don't know much about farm animals. Quick side note, the Washington Post reports that during the pandemic, more than 25 million American households got a pandemic pet. Maybe you're one of them. One in every five households got a pandemic pet, maybe a pandemic puppy. If I had you raise your hand, there's a number of us in the room. Our family, we did it too. We got a pandemic pet, only um, we got a pandemic piggy. We got a, a mini pig. This is our pandemic pig named Millie. She has her own Instagram account with like seven followers, so you can go find her. And the truth is, Millie is not that mini anymore. You can see in that Picture. Okay, so I grew up, I didn't know a whole lot about farm animals, I certainly am learning a little bit more. Um, but most of us, we, we haven't grown up around farm animals, and so when we hear ourselves being referred to as a sheep, we think of Sean the sheep. We think of like cute little cuddly sheep. We aren't offended when Jesus calls us sheep, but to ancient ears, to be compared to sheep would have been a huge insult. Okay? In his book, Love Beyond Reason, John Ortberg helps unpack why being called a sheep is actually insulting. Okay? First of all, sheep are creatures of habit. Sheep will eat and drink and then contaminate their own feeding area. They'll, they're creatures of habit to their own demise. Like they need a shepherd to move them to clean water because they'll just drink in that area and defecate and get it gross and, and it will become toxic for them. They have to be moved. They are creatures of habit to their own demise. Okay, sheep are also, um, they, they lack discernment. Okay, they can wander off, leaving themselves vulnerable and unable to get themselves back home. So they, 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 they're, they lack discernment on their own, but they also lack discernment in packs. Like they'll see other sheep wander off and they're like, that looks good. And they'll just follow other sheep right into danger. Sheep are defenseless. They're defenseless against predators, Uh, John in his book says they don't even have a growl. Like they don't. There's like literally nothing they can do. Think about that, and they're also not only defenseless against predators, they're defenseless against themselves they can become what's called cast. Their wool, if, if, if that isn't shaved down, they can get so heavy that they fall over. Now, I'm in an 80s, 90s kid, and there used to be this commercial with senior citizens. They would fall over, and you remember what they would say? Help, I've fallen, and I can't get up. Yeah, some of you are mouthing it. You remember it. And this is like true for sheep. They, they are defenseless against themselves. They can literally fall over and become cast and get stuck on their back. And if a shepherd doesn't come and right-size them, eventually they will actually die, okay? They're defenseless. And finally, sheep lack intelligence. Now, they're actually quite emotionally intelligent. They know the, the, the sound of their shepherd and they're attuned to their shepherd. What do I mean about intelligence? What I mean is sheep make choices that require repeated rescue. Like they just do dumb things over and over again. And if you don't believe me, watch this social media video of this sheep. This is pretty amazing, right? It's stuck in a ditch. Apparently that's a humane way to pull it out. I don't know. Watch what it does. Yeah. Boom. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Jesus says you are like a sheep without a shepherd. When he speaks of us as sheep, he's actually leveling the playing field. He's teaching us that regardless of how moral we feel or how immoral we think that we are, the main issue that Jesus came to resolve is how bad off you and I are without God at the center of life. We are like sheep without a shepherd. And without God at the center of our life, we are in fact bad off. The question is, Do we really, today, 2,000 years after Jesus, like, do we really believe that we are, in fact, bad off? Do we really believe that? Since the Enlightenment, and especially here in tech-savvy Silicon Valley, I'm born and raised here. It's in my blood. I don't think we really believe what Jesus is saying here, that that without God, like, just kind of doing things our own way, like, we're that bad off. I don't think most of us would describe ourselves as bad off or as lost. How do we describe ourselves here? How do we think of ourselves here? We think of ourselves as modern, right? Not full of superstition, but modern, and scientific, and um, educated, right? We're rich, we have resources, at least compared to the rest of the world. We have some resources that can help us get out of trouble, and we're innovative, like. With enough time and with enough resources and enough collaboration, enough computing power, enough money, we can get ourselves out of anything. We can save ourselves. That's what we believe, and that's the air and the, 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 the belief that we have here in the Silicon Valley. But what we need to acknowledge is that this sediment, which is so prevalent here, is actually a belief system in and of itself. It requires faith. We can't actually see into the future and see if what we believe is gonna be true. It actually requires a great deal of faith. And as a faith system, the data that we do have doesn't do a lot for the narrative that humans, through innovation and through social evolution, are in fact making our world better, that we're saving ourselves. In fact, when we look backwards to the last century, the 20th century, what do we see? We see that in the midst of social and technological progress that the 20th century was the bloodiest and most violent century of all of human history. We don't need to spend a lot of time in China or Russia or in World War I or World War II or Cambodia and the killing fields. The 20th century, despite all of the technological progress and social progress, was the most bloody and violent century of human history. And when we look to today, to the 20th, 21st century... When we look to today, we see that upcoming generations are not only enhanced by our innovation, but they are also hampered. Author and speaker Simon Sinek, he blew up the internet in 2016, and what he shared in this became viral because it just hit a nerve, just something we were sensing and feeling, and it's only become more true over the last seven years. He blew up the internet when he was in this interview where he was talking about the largest and most technologically advanced generation of all times, the millennials. And prophetically in this, he's observing the millennials and he's, 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 the interview is much larger than this, but at one point he speaks about the technological advances and how they're not just helping, but actually hindering, causing some problems for millennials. He says prophetically that technological advances are being attributed to higher rates of depression, and despair regarding careers, and difficulties forming real and substantive relationships. Now, I recognize where a lot of us work and what we do and where we are, and I'm not suggesting here, the point of this message is that innovation is bad. No, I think actually God has wired us to, to bring our best and our, our best creativity, our best resources, our best hustle to make things as good as we can. Is innovation bad? Is that your point, Andy? No, innovation is not bad, but I think what we're learning here is that innovation as a faith system is bad, Okay. Humanism, this belief that we can save ourselves through our social progress and through our innovation. Humanism, this faith system, that's what's bad. Given the data that we have, it's an illogical faith system. The teachings of Jesus are actually more realistic, more logical, more in line with the overwhelming data that we do have, that we are in fact sheep and we aren't saving ourselves. We are bad off. To use traditional Christian language, it's that we are, in fact, lost, lost in our sin, alone and in need of an outside intervention, God's grace. And yet there's hope. Jesus says something pretty incredible here. He says, we have a shepherd. You know, millions of Christians around the globe just gathered together to celebrate Christmas and at Christmas, we celebrate, we remember that God became man, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, and he took a lowly job. He came, Jesus came to become our shepherd. And from the passage, what do we see this shepherd do? In verse five, Jesus says that he's come to seek and to find us. A good shepherd seeks and finds us. You know, this is really good news because a lot of people think that you have to go and find God. Like, you have to do the spiritual hustle. You have to go on some hike. You have to drink some sort of, like, mushroom-infused tea so that you can find God. And the great story here, the story of the gospel, the good news is that God loves you enough to meet you exactly where you are. He has come to you. He has come to me. And he loves us enough to not just meet me and you where we are, but he actually doesn't leave us there. What is the second thing Jesus does like a shepherd? He picks us up and he carries us home, home to where there's healing, home to where there's life, where there's provision, where there's community. You know, when a sheep is lost, a shepherd will actually put the sheep just like that picture over his shoulders and he'll walk it home. He does all the work to bring that cheap home. You know, it's pretty interesting. Um, we know historically Jesus didn't just stay a little cute baby in a manger scene. He grew and he lived his perfect life, but he would be tried as a Roman criminal and he would be um, sentenced to crucifixion. And on his way to being crucified, Jesus carried a cross that historians interestingly say weighs roughly the same weight as an adult sheep. What's happening? What do we believe as Christians? What do we understand? What do the biblical writers tell us? That Jesus, as he carried our shepherd, carried our cross. He was bearing our weight, our sin, our broken relationship with God on his back. He did the work. He was carrying us home. Isaiah says it this way. All of us like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. What is Isaiah saying? He's just saying like, hey, we've all chosen to just kinda do life our way, to keep God at arm's length, and yet the Lord laid the sins of us all on Jesus' back. He carried us home. He did the work to restore what was broken, our relationship with the Father. What Isaiah is saying right here is so important. He is saying that sin, at a fundamental level, is not about bad behavior. Sin at a fundamental level is about a broken relationship with the God who knows you, who loves you, who created you, and who has moved towards you in the person of Jesus to repair that broken relationship. Sin is about a broken relationship with God. It's it's about choosing to do life alone. When my son Moses was a lot younger, I took him to the barber for the very first time. And uh, he was pretty nervous about his first haircut, as lots of little kids are. There he is. Man, I miss those cabbage patch cheeks, you know, they, <laughs> they grow out of them. And I remember just kind of plopping him in the chair and I sat across the room, you know, in the waiting area watching attentively. And honestly, I'm not sure who was more nervous or excited like me or him. Um, I remember watching the barber put a little apron on him and, you know, spray his hair down and begin to comb his hair and kind of observe, like, how his hair grows. And Moses was totally into it. He was staring into the mirror watching, like, everything that was going on in front of him. And then I remember as the barber picked up those electric trimmers, right, you know. And for a little kid, I mean, it's logically, like, this is like a power tool that they have never seen coming right against their face, right? There's just kind of a natural reaction of panic. And I remember his little body tensing up and like, what is happening? And then I watched his eyes just kind of like zoom through the mirror, just darting through the mirror, looking for something. And eventually his, ear, his eyes locked onto mine. And I remember him looking and finding his father, looking back at him in his fear, in his anxiety about the future, about what's gonna happen next. I remember him just seeing me, seeing him. And in that moment, as he saw his father looking at him, I remember him just relaxing and succumbing to his fate, his very first Mohawk. (laughs) And as I sat there, In that barbershop, looking looking at Moses, locking eyes with Moses, I, I tried to recall how things had been when I was growing up. I tried to recall the look of my father. I tried to remember him sitting in the chair, staring at me. And I quickly realized that when it came to memories of my dad, I was pretty much bankrupt. At that moment, I realized my dad never took me to the barber. In fact, I realized in that moment how few memories there were of my dad attending the very seemingly small moments of my own life, moments like getting my first haircut. And it was at that moment, staring at my son, I was hit with the reality that I had grown, grown largely without the presence of my own father. And the reason I share that today is If you're honest, if you look back at 2023, if you look at your life where you are right now, you might describe yourself in a wilderness of good things, career, relationships, family, education. You've been building all of these really good things, this wilderness of I call good things, but you've been building it alone without much thought of God or his presence in your life. Or maybe it's been a wilderness of hard things. It's been a season where you've had to fight and you've had to struggle against adversity, but willfully you've been choosing to face all of that hardship alone. And the good news as we wrap up 2023 and we head into 2024 together is we don't have to live like that. We can, in fact, face life with our shepherd, and not just any shepherd. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Say it with me, good. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as my father knows me, I know the father and I lay my life down for my sheep. You know what makes Jesus a good shepherd? says it right there. He lays his life down for the sheep. You see, at the cross, we see God's love for you and for me. He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy letting him in your life and letting him lead the way. Why? Because his motivation has been proven. It has been demonstrated. Scripture says he's demonstrated for his love for you while you were still a sinner, while you just still held him off, while you were choosing to do things your own way. God sent his son Jesus, and Jesus died for you. His motivation towards you is one 100% 100% pure, sacrificial love. He wants what's best for you. The scripture continues, the reason my father loves me is that I lay, my, uh, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up In other words, Jesus is our good shepherd because on the cross, Jesus not only gave his life for you, but he demonstrated his power, his full authority. He put death to death. And that means that there is no enemy that you or I are facing that Jesus hasn't already overcome on Calvary's cross. That means that right now, whatever is in your life that feels bound, he can free. It means Because he's our good shepherd, because of his love for you and his ultimate power, putting death to death, that whatever feels stained can be washed clean. It means that whatever feels broken can, in fact, be repaired. Whatever feels unpayable, just impossible, he will make possible. He will pay. He has paid, paid in full. Whatever is lost, whatever just feels hopeless and lost, can be found. This is the good news as we wrap up 2023, heading into 2024. That we have a good shepherd, and we don't have to do life alone. So, as we wrap up, I'm just going to invite you to consider this question: Are you bad off? Are you bad off? Meaning, are you trying to live life without your good shepherd? The good news of of Christianity, of the gospel, of scriptures is that we don't have to do life alone. God has moved to us. He's found what was lost. He's done all the work. He's made a way through Jesus to carry the weight of that broken relationship, to overcome the weight of our broken relationship, sin, death, so that we might know him and know him in every part of our life. He's found you. And he doesn't say, hey, here's the way. He says, I am the way. And there's really two responses. We can say, ah, that's pretty cool, but I kind of still believe I'm not that bad off, and I'm just gonna keep doing life alone. We can do that. Dallas Willard says, the reason we do not run to God is because we do not know how much trouble (laughs) we are in. We're like that sheep. We're like, thanks, and we just jump out of the ditch, boing, 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 and then right back in. That's one direction we can go. The second invitation is just to turn around and to call out like a lost kid and invite God's love and his forgiveness and his healing and his leadership to saturate every part of your life. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. And as they do, I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and just um, bow your head and to close your eyes. And if you're anything like me, it's been a whirlwind of a couple weeks here, a whirlwind of a year. And I just wanna speak to two groups, we have the time. I just wanna speak to two groups that are here today and just give us a little moment to reflect. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I wanna speak to those of you who have said yes to Jesus. You would consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And I just wanna invite you based on this scripture to, to pause and ask yourself as you head into 2024, you know Jesus says here my sheep hear my voice. I just wonder is there just in this moment in this space is you, could you hear his voice perhaps inviting one area of your life to become more open to his leadership? Is there one area in your life where Jesus is inviting you to let him lead? To lead more fully? A relationship Maybe a, a, an emotion, some an unredeemed emotion—anxiety or fear or or anger or bitterness—and his voice, he, you know his voice. He says, "My sheep know my voice." He's inviting you. Hey, let me lead you in that area. There's a way that feels right to you, but actually, it leads to death. I'm your good shepherd. You could trust me. He wants he wants to lead you. Maybe it's. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's actually he's leading you to build something incredible and there's a lot of adversity and challenge and you just need to be reminded you're not building that alone. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a a health condition. Maybe it's a strained relationship. Would you just consider like, man, is there one place that my good shepherd is inviting me to let him lead more? And then just listen listen. And then, as you find that thing, that area that he's inviting you to let him lead more, I wonder if you would just, not, not to me, not to anybody else in the room, but just raise your hand and say, Jesus, I'm committed to letting you lead in this area, in all areas, but certainly this area that you've brought to my heart and my mind. And just raise your hand. Just say, Jesus, as I move into 2024, yeah, yeah, I see you all over the room, yeah. I'm a follower of you, but it's hard to follow. There's times I don't wanna follow you. You're asking me, yeah, I see all the hands. Let me just pray for you and for me. God, thank you. Thank you that we have heard your voice, that we've turned towards you, and yet we have discovered that it's not always easy. It's not always easy to continue to trust, but I just pray over my brothers and sisters for the hands raised, the ones that I could see, the ones I couldn't see. Jesus, that you would continue to be our good shepherd in 2024, Lord. That you would resource us with the resources of heaven as we step into relationships, as we step into our work and our leisure time and and all the ups and downs, Lord, we pray that in the area that, that you brought to mind, Jesus, you lead and we'll follow. We promise to listen to your voice With every head bowed and your eyes closed, it would be pastorally, it would be pastorally irresponsible of me to not invite somebody who's never said yes to Jesus to say yes to Him right now. So I want to speak to a second group of you today who've never said yes to Jesus, but as you uh, were listening, you would say like, "Man, that's me. I have been living life without God. I, if, if I'm honest." And I don't really wanna do that anymore. I want a fresh start this year. I want God's love and power in my life. I, I want the good news of the gospel for God to meet me right where I am, right here in this seat, right here and now, and to receive his forgiveness and his healing and his restoration. And this new life he leads, I'll follow. If that's you today, if you'd like to say yes to Jesus, you've never said yes to Jesus before, would you just raise your hand? I'm here, I wanna respond to the offer that Jesus has uniquely, to have him bear the weight of my guilt, my shame. I wanna say yes to Jesus. Just raise your hand right now, if that's you. Mm. Yeah, I think I saw your hand, yeah, awesome. We have the time. This is your moment as you start this new year. If that's you, you just simply, scripture says, your work is to just believe, to admit your sin, to confess your sin, and and to turn out towards Jesus and believe the work he's done on behalf of you, and then turn away from that old self-oriented life and, and to be committed to living this God-centered life. I pray for um, anyone in the room that made that decision right now. I thank you, God, that as a church, over this last year, we've seen more than 128 people say yes to Jesus for the first time. Another 100 recommit their lives to Jesus over this last year. Lord, thank you that you are the good shepherd. We look forward to 2024, the work you're gonna continue to do in our church as we learn and live this way of Jesus together. Jesus, be our good shepherd. Amen. Amen. Well, we're gonna continue to worship through communion, and communion reminds us of a lot of things, but today as we take communion, um, we're reminded that we're bad off without Jesus, without our good shepherd, that we need him not just once, not just daily, not just weekly. We need Jesus all the time. We need our good shepherd. And so I'm going to invite you to go ahead and to take this communion cup and to open up this bread. The bread represents Jesus' body. Jesus spared no expense. Yeah, come forward if you need to get a cup. And then I hold this Bread, I am reminded he's Emmanuel, he's God with us, he's moved towards us. Would you receive the bread as we remember Jesus' sacrifice? You can open up this other side, the juice represents his blood, the the covenant, the new covenant for our sin. He's spared no expense so that we would not do life alone, but we would actually know the love of our Father, that he would be the center of all that we do. And in that, there's great hope. Would you receive the juice as we remember his blood spilt for the forgiveness of our sin? Lord, we need you. We need you to lead us this year. And Lord, when and if, and we fall in a ditch, would you pull us out? Let us continue in worship.